You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So with the bye week ahead, um, I want to take at least a half a step back. Obviously, the most important thing to still focus on is the Green Bay Packers in the playoff, but maybe start to look at things a little bit more broadly. And so today, I want to spend at least a little bit of time. There was a ton of news, mostly NFL-based news, and I want to try to look at that and talk about that, but in sort of a broader context. Because even though these things don't necessarily apply to the Green Bay Packers right now, it applies to football, and it's a way of sort of organizing our thoughts going forward and how we as Packer fans want things structured or whatever. Here's a good idea, here's a bad idea. Let's, let's never do that. But also, we're starting to see a picture of what the NFL is going to develop into next year, and I don't know if you know this, we'll talk about that today as well. The, not necessarily the schedule, but our opponents for next year are already here. So we can kind of take a peek at how these changes affect 2020 and the teams we're going to have to face. And then some of this NFL news is directly tied to the Green Bay Packers because it's happening in the NFC North. Some Bears news, some Lions news, some news that impacts playoff teams, you know, whatever. And then depending on time, um, Jim from Florida has left me a couple voicemails that I have not gotten to, so I want to make sure to address some of those things. Jim has been a very long time caller and I don't want to abandon the guy. He's the only one still calling my number. <laughs> so that's the plan for today. If you want to help yourself out, make sure you get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group and be sure to follow the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you want to help me out, do me a favor and check out Patreon because you can support me for as little as a dollar a month, which means absolutely nothing to you, but means a lot to me. A buck a month is what what even what even is a dollar a month? My wife has Google store, online storage that's $2 a month. That's close. This is half of that. I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but I feel like I'm not being unreasonable saying, look, I'll give you, let's say, 40 to 50 episodes this month. Would you consider a dollar? <laughs> and again, a dollar from you doesn't mean much, but to me, when you consider how large the audience is, could mean absolutely a ton. So I would encourage all of you to please think about that. If you don't like the monthly recurring, and would rather just say, look, I got a couple bucks, I'm going to give you it one time, and then I want you to leave me alone. There's other options for that as well. But uh, please consider it. I've got lofty goals for 2020, and some of them are financial. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, I actually, I've, I've had people reach out about some different ideas for the podcast, and I'd like to be able to accomplish some of them, but we got to kind of see how it goes. I have lofty goals as far as what I want to do for the draft and what I want to do next season and maybe like a Packernet meetup and all these different things. But I never end up doing them because by the time I get there, I just I can't justify financially doing that. So anyways, think it over. It would be greatly appreciated. Again, a buck a month is all I'm asking for. More is, is optional. Anyways, uh, otherwise, iTunes reviews. Always love those. Five-star iTunes reviews. If you don't want to leave it a five-star iTunes review because you don't think I've earned that, that's fine. Maybe you shoot me a message and say what could be better because I'm pretty receptive to that stuff. Doesn't mean I'll listen, but I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. But that's it for today. Let's take our break, and we'll uh, giddy on up with it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. 
Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So for those of you that have been listening for a while, I've already told you this, but allow me to remind you. I ordered some clothing from a company called Mack Weldon. And as I said, th- this is premium high-end men's clothing attire. I don't mean high-end as far as like tuxedos. I mean like the quality is just next level. They have the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants. They've got these lounge pants that I can't even begin to describe the fabric to you. I put them on and I was lounging around and I went and looked in the mirror and I asked my wife, do you think I could pass these off as like if I went to work in these? Because they kind of look like they could be work pants, but they're li- I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I got nothing. I, you just got to get them, I guess. And I'm not about spending a bunch of money on clothes. I do hand-me-downs and I do Goodwill. And even at Goodwill, it's like, nah, I could probably get by. I don't really need more clothes. But it better be comfortable, whatever it is. But I'm telling you, even if you're like me, you got to treat yourself at least once to some really, really nice, high-quality clothing. They've also got underwear and shirts that are silver-infused, and what that does is it, it helps to eliminate odor. It's actually activated by the water or the liquid, you know, sweat, and it just destroys odor. It's kind of a newer technology thing that's going on, but you're not going to find it at, you know, Walmart. So if you want to try it out, Mack Weldon's got a great offer that you can take advantage of. It's 20% off. You just have to visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code OVERTIME. Again, that's 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. And they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it, and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. That's MacWeldon.com. Use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. All right, where to begin? Let's start with the the opponents, because, you know, I want to have a framework as we move forward here. Maybe a little bit of commentary. So obviously the home opponents you got, or home and away, Bears, Lions, Vikings, we'll scratch that. I'm assuming you already know that. Other home opponents. Now, for the record, every year you've got strong opponents and you got weak opponents. You kind of want the stronger ones to be at home just because then you got a better shot. We've got the Falcons. And as far as commentary, as I've been saying about the Falcons, this is a team that needs to tear down and rebuild. As I'm aware of, they've made the decision we're going we're gonna to stand pat. We're bringing everybody back, the exception of maybe a few underlings, whatever, but we're sticking with this formula. I don't think it's going to work. We'll see. They can still hit on a really strong draft. They can get some great free agents. They, they can turn it around if they hit on that, but I just feel like the structure and the formula, just think 2018 Packers if they kept everybody and the plan was, well, maybe they'll get lucky in the draft. You wouldn't really expect them to get better. I feel pretty good about that. The Carolina Panthers are going in an entirely different direction. Here's my theory, and I put this out on Twitter. So let me just run through this real quick. John Dorsey was just fired. Dumb. In fact, I, I guess we'll just talk about that now. Jo- John Dorsey did not deserve to be fired. My understanding of it is the Browns decided they wanted to take back some of the power. 
And to some degree, I understand it because John Dorsey, again, as I understand it, does have some weaknesses. He's, number one, not the easiest guy to get along with. Number two, I don't think he's very good at at managing contracts. However, as far as scouting players and drafting, he's got to be one of the best, if not the best, in all of football. And if your number one priority isn't the draft, I don't know what it is. You can hire a Russ Ball to put next to the guy, but they gave him a lot of power and the Browns weren't super comfortable with all the power. Maybe it had something to do with coaching, hiring. I don't know, but I'm going to do everything I can to retain the guy. They didn't. So here's my plan if I'm the Carolina Panthers. As I understand it, their current GM was actually an interim GM. They they fired Dave Gettleman because he just wasn't very good, who went over to the Giants. They brought back their longtime GM as an interim GM. Now, I'm sure he's doing a great job and everything's wonderful, even though the team's fallen apart ever since, but I'm sure it's all great. But if I'm the Panthers, I'm saying thank you for your interim capacities. Much appreciated. We're bringing in this guy because he's a freak. Beyond that, let's think about this. The Carolina Panthers are very likely moving on from Cam Newton, meaning they need a quarterback. And they're they're drafting very high this year, which is very rare for the Panthers. Who better do you want than the guy that drafted last year, Baker Mayfield, who I know had a rough year, but he's a good quarterback. The whole thing fell apart. If you judge those players based on last year, Odell Beckham is garbage. B- Baker is garbage. Jarvis Landry is garbage. They're all garbage. The year prior to him drafting Baker Mayfield, he drafted Pat Mahomes. So I'm bringing him in, and I'm giving him anything and everything he wants to come in and be our GM. So he's going to draft us a quarterback. I I further elaborated because I'm working on a mock right now, and what I did is I had the Panthers leapfrog the Miami Dolphins, because they're close enough to do that, and steal Tua away. So imagine Tua with Christian McCaffrey for the Carolina Panthers. Now, I know a lot of, well, Tua's going back. Well, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think he should, but maybe he will. Because I think he could be going top five, very likely, if he just goes into the draft. But maybe he won't. I don't know. Either way, that's kind of the lesser part of this. The, the bigger part is, we got a guy that's got a really good track record with drafting and building a roster. He's going to come in, get a bunch of free agents, draft some really good players, ideally a quarterback. And beyond that, we also need a coach. So I wonder, we got a GM who was a longtime Packer. He played for the Green Bay Packers. He was a scout for the Green Bay Packers. He came up as a college scout for the Packers. Then he got stolen away, went to the Chiefs, drafted a quarterback. They're great, got fired, went over here, built a great roster, got fired. He's been nothing but awesome everywhere he's gone. So his ties to the Packers, I want, oh, I know. We need a coach that has familiarity with the GM, that the GM likes, that can help put together a roster that has talent but maybe needs a new culture, that knows how to run a locker room, that also has experience building up and working with young quarterbacks. Huh, I want, oh, I got an idea. Why don't we hire Mike McCarthy? So we get a reunion of those two. We get a new quarterback, and we have a team that actually is pretty talented, but just needs an infusion of talent, i.e. a new quarterback, maybe a few other picks, maybe go out and get some people in free agency. And, and my thought process is, if the Panthers are smart enough to do something like that, they could be a really good team in 2020, if not 2021, and I think easily the second best team in the division, possibly fighting the Saints for the top spot. Just my thought. Completely, I mean, way more specific than most people want to be, but it just, it makes so much sense. If I'm the Panthers, I'm orchestrating that today. Now, the, the, the caveats, obviously, number one, is Tua even going to be in there? And if, again, that's lesser, you can still get a guy like Herbert or whatever, if you like him, I don't know. But then beyond that, I have no idea if Dorsey likes McCarthy, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire Dorsey, and I'm going to tell him I don't know if I want him hiring a coach. We'll see, but I don't want to hire McCarthy if those two don't get along. But assuming they do, and he still respects McCarthy, I'm doing that immediately. So, I, I if the Panthers are smart, I think they're back on top quickly. On top just meaning 
in contention for the division and in the playoffs. However, as it stands now, the Panthers are not a very good team, so I'm not super worried, but that's one of those teams that I feel like could rebound quickly, and that was just my... I just want to throw it out there, because if it happens, I want to take credit for it. Um, The Jaguars, they've also made the decision, similar to the Falcons, to keep everybody. So when you do what you've been doing, you're going to get what you've been getting, is, is my general thought on that. What they did, though, is they changed the structure between the big guy, the coach, the GM, and the owner. Where have we seen that game played before? <laughs> Granted, we had a new GM when that happened, but they just they, they created a structure in which the owner is being directly reported to by the head coach and the GM. That's exactly what the Packers did with McCarthy and Gutekunst reporting directly to Murphy. That's the structure that Khan has now created. And so, bottom line, I don't really think this is going to get much better. This is a team that needs a lot of help. And again, any team can hit on free agency in the draft. There, there, of course, there's skill to it. Skill is a GM that's able to do it, has a, a proven track record like John Dorsey, like um, Bill Belichick. But anybody can hit on one draft. We've seen that time and time and time again where you just hit on a bunch of players and it just tra- transforms your franchise. Usually it happens when you bring in a quarterback, but whatever. But I don't think that's going to be a massive threat, and that's a home game. The Titans at home, I've, I've already told you my prediction. I think this is, and we'll, you know, we'll see, but this is the big up-and-coming team. I think they're going to demolish the Patriots. The, I don't know what's going on with Ryan Tannehill. This could be the ultimate proof of a guy that's been held back by a team. I mean, you, you always hear that, right? Well, he would be so much better if he was with a better quarterback, or he'd be so much better here or here or here, that this is a talented person that just never really was able. But you, that doesn't usually happen. Usually people say it, and then they go somewhere else, and they're still not that good. How many times have we seen that with tight ends in Aaron Rodgers? Oh, man, he's never had a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers before. Yeah, but it's Aaron Rodgers, right? He, oh, he's, he's, he's not that good of a wide receiver, but with Aaron Rodgers, and they're just never good. In fact, most of these tight ends tend to get worse when they come to Green Bay. I'm not blaming Rodgers. I'm just saying that whole thing where people go somewhere and get better because they're in a better situation doesn't usually pan out as much as we think it does. However, Tannehill is legitimately the best quarterback in football since he started with the Titans. Numero uno, carving up the NFL. And they have a deal. And by the way, this is another team that I've been saying has a roster but just can't do anything with it, similar to the Chargers. They don't have a lot of top-end elite players. But they don't have really any weaknesses anywhere. At the very least, every position is pretty much just good. Now you plug in a pretty elite-level quarterback at this point, which feels weird to say because I'm so used to calling him subpar for like a decade. But it is what it is, and I'm, I'm legitimately concerned. And we'll see what happens because it's all kind of new. Maybe teams kind of figure it out and then it's done by next year. But this is a scary team. Um, and then the Eagles, I have no idea. Eagles are the final home opponent. I don't know what they are. They've got a good, you know, GM coach combo. They've got all the same good players that basically took them to the Super Bowl, but they can't win football games. So I don't, I don't know. I have no thoughts on what they're going to be next year. Uh, road opponents, not including the divisional one, uh, the Saints. That's absolutely brutal, and I don't need to elaborate as to why. The 49ers. That's absolutely brutal. Uh, the Colts. The Colts seem to be on a downward slide. They had that one really good draft, right, that completely built their roster. Right? Defensive player of the year, their linebacker, I think is, is I think he won. They get into the playoffs, and my thought was they're going to be a dominant team, which I've thought that, I don't know how many times now I thought the Colts were going to be in the playoffs, and they'd just never get there. But this year was just a terrible year. We'll have to see what happens, I guess. But unless they get a new quarterback that's competent, I just don't see them really getting anywhere. The Texans, extremely volatile team. They've got a great quarterback, a really, really, really elite wide receiver, possibly the best in all of football. 
However, their defense has got to be the most banged-up thing ever. Those guys are always just beat up, and they're just losing talent every single year. It's it's J.J. Watt, who if we're playing him after, if we're playing the Texans after about week eight, J.J. is probably going to be out. So really high potential, seem to be a, a regular playoff team, but they've got so many holes, it's unbelievable. And by the way, every time you hear about the Packers' holes or holes on this team or holes on that team, just look at the Texans. They have zero. Well, they do have one offensive lineman they got from Miami. They they have the they still with one good tackle have one of the worst offensive lines in football. They don't have any other wide receivers. Well, they do have Fuller, I guess. But I mean, they, they've got one really good one, a mediocre one, and nothing. Which kind of is what the Packers have now with Lazard. Defense is just kind of meh, but yet they win. So that's going to be a tough one. And then the Buccaneers. As far as I know, I mean, they just hired Arian, so I doubt they're going to overhaul anything. They're going to give him time to kind of build this up. But I don't know. I mean, they they got to move on from Winston, but there's only so many quarterbacks. And of those pile of quarterbacks, there's only so many that are, going to, that are going to be good. How many of them are going to be better than Jameis? I'm sure there's just about anyone is going to throw less picks, but how many of them are going to get as many touchdowns? So I don't know. That, that also is a wait and see. They, they do have lethal potential, and obviously they're a team that can just put up 50 points and annihilate you. So those are the teams that we're playing next year. Um, teams I'm I'm definitely afraid of, Saints and 49ers. Fairly afraid of Titans and Texans. Maybe throw the Eagles in there. Potential to be good, Panthers, Buccaneers, and then I guess just oh, Colts, I guess, would be mixed in there. Not really afraid of the Falcons. And I know they have talent. I just don't believe in their organization. I don't think they're, they're doing the right things to make the necessary challenge, uh, changes. Again, they're the 2018 Packers who are now in 2019 having not made changes, and they're going into 2020 without making changes. The Packers were the case study. That was the evidence you need to make changes, and they're just refusing to. So, thems be the opponents. As far as other news around the NFL, um, I mentioned the John Dorsey thing, which I think is ridiculous. <sighs> Whatever. Some other non-directly related news is that the Jets are listening on Le'Veon Bell, meaning they're willing to take phone calls on him, which really means they're probably very willing because the head coach has made it clear since day one he doesn't want Le'Veon Bell. He never wanted Le'Veon Bell. But when he got there, he was upset that they had Le'Veon Bell because that was not his vision. He doesn't need Le'Veon Bell. And you can see with their team, he's not that big of an asset. They're paying him a ton of money for a player that they could get that kind of production from just any old random Joe off the street, pretty much. And so for our purposes, what that means is we get to hear the conversation from Packers fans about, should we go get him? My answer is still no, but that doesn't change the fact that we're going to have to have that whole discussion and argument for months. Which, by the way, that's what time of year it is. We're getting into draft season, we're getting into free agency season, and free agency season is all about, we need this guy. And people flip out. Because though that one particular fan, you know the type, the guy that come out and think that we have like $60 billion in, uh, in free agent money and thinks that every fix comes from just signing a guy who was good three years ago, right? Some real big name that if we just bring him over, all that productivity stays the same and they're the same freak and they're going to transform the, this whole thing and we're going to win a super. We get to a visit from them again. Always, always good to see them. The, the problem to everything is forget the draft, just sign good players. And by good, I mean they were good at least one year. Signed guys like, you know, Josh Norman. He had that one good year. Remember that one good year? That was a real good year. He was maybe the best in football. Probably not. But, um, yeah, stuff like that. That's what we need to do. Landon Collins would have transformed everything, man. Granted, he wasn't very good for the Redskins, and the Redskins generally didn't do much, and nobody's talking about Landon anymore. But at the time, that was the move. That's what we needed to do. We needed to pay the guy like $15 million a year or 17 or whatever he ended up getting. I don't know. But whatever it costs, we got to get him. 
So we, we get to do that again. That's always fun. And sometimes it's a good move, but very rarely is it a good move. Zadarius is a very rare exception. I think Preston is a very rare exception. I don't think Khalil Mack has been worth... I mean, he's a great player. I don't think he's worth... I, if I, I already said if I was the Packers, I didn't want Khalil Mack because it was too expensive. I think if you're the Chicago Bears, do you go back and change? I think so. Especially now, seeing that you don't do anything with it. You got to the playoffs once, you were one and done, and now you can't even get to the playoffs. You're 8-8. Eight and eight. I'm thinking if you can go back and do it again, you would l- not have Khalil Mack. You would let the Packers make that mistake, which thankfully the Bears stole that mistake from us. And then you keep those draft picks and you start building through the draft. But you can't do that now. And you, once again, don't have a first-round pick, which means you're going to be probably even worse next year. But that's that's cool. Um, just coming through right now on my, my cell phones, um, Jack Del Rio is going to be officially the uh, defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. Excuse me, <laughs> the Washington Redskins. Um, we're not playing the Redskins, so it's not all that important. But again, it is interesting. I wanted Jack. He was my guy. Uh, when we were looking for a defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio was my guy. Now, there's there's a reason he hasn't been able to get a job. I don't know what that is, but if you look at this guy's track record, it's it's just, I mean, he's 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 got the same kind of track record as John Dorsey does. Go there, build a roster, get fired. Go over here, build a great roster, get fired. Jack Del Rio just goes to pl- goes to teams that have terrible defenses and turns them into a top five defense in like a year. That's just what Jack Del Rio does might be slight hyperbole, but it's just, you don't see that kind of a track record from anybody, and he does a great job of doing that. Now, it's a new year, it's a new season, it's a new kind of defense you're trying to build, it's a new organization, whatever, but um, extremely talented guy, and they've got a very talented head coach, and I'm hopeful that the Washington Redskins can somewhat turn it around, not too much, because I don't want them to be a threat, but to be able to beat up on the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys would be great, because the Cowboys are the Cowboys, and the Eagles have garbage fans, and I don't want them to be happy. No offense, but you guys are kind of rude and crude, and I'm not a big fan of it. And don't act like, yeah, that was back in the 80s. Nonsense. You're still a bunch of crazy people. Fights and throwing stuff, beating people. You you, you don't. You, you got your one go away now. Um, other head coaching or, or coaching change news, whatever, the Giants are looking at pretty much everybody. Matt Rule, Josh McDaniel, Mike McCarthy. Um, Eric Bieniemy, which is a guy that we talked about last time for possible head coach. He's the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Um, Don Martindale, which is a really kind of interesting story. That was the one I was talking about not too long ago, where the guy just has a really bad track record, and you look at the Ravens hiring the guy, and it's like, why? Why are you doing that? He's never had success anywhere. I mean, he, he worked his way up to being a defensive coordinator. It was so bad that everybody got fired, and he went back to being an inside linebacker's coach. He lost like eight years of his life and had to start all the way over with the Ravens, worked his way up to defensive coordinator, and what happened? He turned him into a dominant defense. So maybe it's just the stuff he learned. I mean, this is why it's so hard, because you just never know. You can't just look at a guy's track record, although that's really all we have to look at and why I like, you know, Jack Del Rio, but sometimes it's just fit. You know, I did same, same thing with uh, Matt LaFleur. That's what drove me nuts when they did the interview. They were talking about personality and fit and how he's a great guy to be around and it's like, dude, I'm, I'm glad that he's the kind of personality that you wouldn't mind having an office down from and talking to, but is he a good football coach, for crying out loud? He's, like, good for the community, and he's got the right temperament for Wisconsin, and it's like, that's all good and great, but you have not said one thing about him as a, as a talented football mind. But, uh, again, it just it just worked out. It's just the right fit. So it's, it's kind of cool that Martindale has been just kind of a low-level guy, worked his way up, it went terribly, he got fired, worked his way up again. 
I don't think he's going to get the job, but um, he's got a good gig with the De- the Baltimore Ravens, and they're doing a great job with that defense, especially after they lost everybody. Zedarius and Suggs and whatever else. Bunch of guys they lost. Uh, the Panthers, as I said, Mike McCarthy makes the most sense. They've interviewed Mike McCarthy twice already. So it does sound to be a somewhat serious thing. Um, he's also... The Browns, I guess, are showing interest in interviewing McCarthy, but that doesn't mean much. I, I really do think Mike McCarthy's going to the Panthers. Panthers have shown a ton of interest. I don't know. Uh, the Browns just have an all, another massive list. Uh, Josh McDaniels, Eric Bieniemy, uh, Stefanski, which would be nice, as I said, and I'm surprised he isn't higher up on a lot of these lists. I think he makes a lot of sense to look at because he is in line with a lot of these guys. The only question is, is he just an offensive coordinator or can he be a head coach? But I mean, what he's done with the Vikings offense is pretty impressive. Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Uh, Mike McDaniel, run game coordinator for the 49ers. And Mike LaFleur, the passing game coordinator for the 49ers. So poaching one of them wouldn't be terrible either. And then a few other people that, who cares? But these things do kind of matter for two reasons. Number one, it changes the franchise they're going to. Number two, it changes the franchise they're leaving. Look at what happened with Vic Fangio when he left the Bears. The defense isn't the same. And so if Stefanski ends up going somewhere as a head coach, I'm going to be very excited about that. If he goes anywhere to do anything, I don't care if he goes and starts a barber shop somewhere, that would be a good day for us. Otherwise, some NFL news that hits a little bit closer to home, the 49ers did sign Earl Mitchell. Earl is a defensive tackle. Now, they've already got defensive tackles, but they're clearly trying to bolster that. Not sure how much of a huge high-impact signing that is, but we may be facing the 49ers at some point in the future. And so I thought I'd bring that up. In in Lions news, they are keeping the high-end structure, at least it seems as though the coach, GM, etc. are all going to stay. However, a few assistant coaches, their special teams coordinator, John Bonamigo, linebackers coach Al Golden, defensive backs coach Brian Stewart, which makes sense. Linebackers and defensive backs are terrible. Uh, Tight ends coach Chris White, which I guess kind of makes sense because, as I said, when we did the Lions breakdown, the tight ends have not been very productive. And then strength and conditioning coach, coordinator Harold Nash, and assistant strength and performance coach Rodney Hill. This probably goes to the fact that everybody on their team is injured. So essentially what the Lions are looking at, and this is why it's important, they don't believe that their head coach and GM are the problem. They think that if they kind of rework some of the underlings, in other words, the head coach was able to convince the GM that it wasn't his fault, it was everybody under him's fault. So we'll see. We'll see who they end up hiring and you know, the, the biggest problem with a lot of this, granted, these aren't super high-level guys. Well, some of them are. Linebackers coach, defensive back coach, which is also funny because if you think about it in terms of the head coach calling out his underlings, it's a lot of defensive guys, right? Hey, you're supposed to be this defensive guru. Why isn't your defense better? Well, it's it's not my fault. It's Al Golden, our linebackers coach. He's messing up. That's why our linebackers good. Not 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 good. It's not me. It's not, it's not my fault that the corners aren't bad. I mean, you look at the Patriots, they've got great corners. But it's, it's not my fault that I couldn't bring that here. And, and it's not my fault that Darius Slay is having his worst year ever. That's our DB coach, Brian Stewart. That's the problem. And so I, I, just, I think that's kind of what's going on. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I don't, I don't generally buy it. And also it's going to be complicated because you're bringing new people in who need to be retaught this new this system all over again. And they have to do whatever, whatever. And... It's not like there's just readily available great linebacker and defensive back coaches. Maybe they'll get lucky and, you know, a couple talented ones will go out with a whole regime or possibly because Patricia has some connections, he'll be able to get a hold of some people, whatever. But I I just generally this, I don't think is, I mean, if if the Packers do something like this or the Vikings do something like this, it kind of makes sense because it's a tweak. 
I wouldn't be super shocked if Menengo went out, for example. But to have a terrible year for a coach that's kind of on the bubble, what what this feels like to me is is the people in charge saying, okay, we'll give you one more shot. And and McCarthy had one of these where where the defensive they got a new defensive coordinator, we got a new this, new that, new everything, new offensive coordinator. Now make it work, and it didn't work, and then he got fired. If I had to guess, that's what's going to happen with the Lions. You say this is the problem, fine. They're, well, I'm, I'm going to go fire them right now. You are going to handpick your next assistant, and I expect this team to be in contention next year. I expect to see growth. I expect to not be last in this division next year. And if you can't bring that, then you're probably gone. And he probably should be gone anyways, but I'm not going to complain about keeping a coach. That's not very good at being a coach. Uh, meanwhile, the Chicago Bears have actually done something very similar this one, I think, maybe has a little bit more credence, but it's probably just because I'm biased because I actually don't dislike Matt Nagy as much as a lot of people do. I was impressed. I mean, First of all, he comes from that lineage of great coaches and great coaching, uh, a great coaching tree. He understands the modern offenses and what he was able to do with the offense. Granted, it was mostly the defense that got him there, but the, the offensive production, despite Mitch Trubisky, who was garbage, was impressive. And so they fired offensive coordinator Mark Helfrich, Helfrich uh, offensive line coach Harry Heinstan, and their tight end coach Kevin Gilbride, as well as assistant special teams coach Brock Olivio, or Olivo, Olivo? It doesn't really matter what their names are. They got rid of the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, tight end coach, and special teams assistant coach, or whatever. So this could also be a little bit of the fall guy thing, because at the end of the day, it's sort of like, Matt, what's going on? This offense should have been a lot better. It didn't get better. What's going on here? And apparently he said, well, I don't have anything to work with as far as my assistants. And then they said, okay, we'll just fire all of them and you get new ones. And then I expect it to be better next year, right? And he's, he's just giving a big old thumbs up like, yep. And then he walks out sweating saying, what in the world am I going to do? Because I kind of just lied a little bit. They weren't really a problem, but I needed an answer. But in reality, I just don't know that they have a gr- I mean, the offensive line did take a pretty big step back considering they were a pretty talented group. Tight ends, I mean, I don't know what they're supposed to do. Everybody's hurt. Offensive coordinator, whatever, that's up to the, the head coach to figure out. And special teams, who I mean, that's such a low-level thing. But I, I, just, I genuinely think a lot of the problems is talent. And further Chicago Bears news, they have made the declarative decision that Mitch Trubisky will be the, co- the quarterback through 2020, which actually is a fairly simple statement to make because you don't even have a first-round pick. So even if you draft a quarterback in the second round, your, your first pick of the draft is a quarterback, you're still going to start Mitch Trubisky. So it gives you that ability. So you even know that if you want him gone and you're trying to find a replacement and you draft someone in the second round, the first question you're going to get after round two of the draft is, so what's going on with Mitch Trubisky? Is is he still going to be the starter? And you're going to go to the podium and say, of course he is. This was about taking the best player available, blah, 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 coach speak nonsense, lying. And essentially what you're doing is you're trying to find somebody who's better. You're hoping and praying that this second round pick is going to be a competent quarterback that you can replace Mitch Trubisky with. All the while, by the way, hoping that Mitch Trubisky kind of turns a corner. So you're kind of hedging your bets here. Granted, one of these things is a failure. Either Mitch Trubisky is a failure, which is terrible, or you wasted a second-round pick on a guy that you can't really use, which also isn't great. But hopefully, by the end of this, we're going to have at least one competent quarterback. By the way, speaking of Mitch Trubisky, um, he did have that strong resurgence, you could say, from Week 10 to Week 15-ish. As an update, however, the game against Kansas City and Minnesota, not super great. Um, his 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 performance against Kansas City was, according to PFF, the second worst game he played all year. 
Statistically, he was 18 of 34, which is 52.9% for 157 yards, 4.6 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. By the way, in his last three weeks, we're talking Green Bay, Kansas City, and Minnesota, he threw for exactly one touchdown. One touchdown, two interceptions. By the way, the one touchdown and the two interceptions were the Green Bay Packers because he had zero touchdowns, zero interceptions against Kansas City and Minnesota. So, yeah, there's some hope from Bears fans and from the organization that this is a big turnaround. The problem is all it really was was we're talking one, two, three, four games that you could consider good, one of which was very good against Detroit, which is a terrible secondary. I know the Packers couldn't take advantage of it, but it is what it is. And so we're talking about four good games all season that happen to be kind of clustered together, which looks to be somewhat of a trend. But if you just take it for what it is, it's four good games. But let's let's, let's see what PFF said. They, so he's got one very good game bordering on elite. That was against Detroit. He had three games that were considered good. That was against Detroit again, terrible secondary. The Packers in week 15 and the New York Giants, another garbage team. So twice against the terrible secondary, once against the Giants, which is actually a worse secondary than Detroit, and then the Packers, which is somewhat embarrassing, but whatever. Outside of that, he's got one, two, three average games. Dallas, uh, L.A., I don't know if that's Rams or Chargers, and Minnesota. Four games that are below average. Philadelphia, the Chargers, so I guess it was the Rams before, Denver and New, uh, New Orleans, and four bad games. Washington, Green Bay week one, Kansas City, and Minnesota, which were his last two weeks. So actually, no, there was week four Minnesota. So I, I don't really see a trend. Other than most of his bad games were at the beginning of the season, the whole season wasn't very good for him. Again, we're talking four games that were above average. I don't know. Maybe he does turn it around next year. It's possible. I've, I've never said Mitch Trubisky can't be a good quarterback. The only thing I've ever railed against is the fact that when Bears fans say that he took a step forward in 2018, they were wrong. And when they base the fact that he's going to be a great quarterback in 2019 and take a quote-unquote another step, which he never took to begin with, and is suddenly going to be a great quarterback and that's going to change things, my stance was, you're wrong about Mitch Trubisky. He's never been a good quarterback. There's no reason to believe he's going to be a good quarterback. However, if he does, yeah, you're probably going to be a very good team. He didn't. Not a good team. Team is garbage. That's what it is. But but here's, here's going to be the new narrative. Going into the offseason next next year, Mitch Trubisky hit his stride in the second half. He finally turned a corner, which contradicts what they said last year, in which he took a step, but we'll just ignore that. He finally turned a corner. Now he's a good quarterback, and now the Bears are going to reign supreme in the NFC North, blah, 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 which is why you fired your offensive coordinator and a bunch of other people, right? Because you finally figured it out at the second half of the year, and now you're going to be a great team. You're a great second-half team, right? Second half of the year, you, you picked it up, but we're still going to fire everybody. Nice try, bud. So anyways, why don't we take a break? Um, I've got one video that I saw on Twitter that, you know, because I was, I, I hate being negative. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be honest. And sometimes I fall on one side of Packer fans. Sometimes I fall on the other side. But then you go out and listen to what some people are saying about the Packers, and it's just infuriating. And it's not even entirely because you can't make a case based on what they're saying. Which, if you just zoom out and say his case was they'll be one and done, which wasn't really his case, you could make an argument for that. You can make an argument for anybody being one and done. But the way he goes about it is just infuriating. And so I want to listen to that, respond to that, then we'll get to Jim's questions, and then we'll be done for the day. Be right back. Now, I know I, I this is kind of low-hanging fruit, and I shouldn't... Why shouldn't I? I should do this. But he, here's the thing that annoys me. This is national television. These people are making a lot of money to be quote-unquote experts. This is Todd Furman. I have no idea who Todd Furman is. I don't watch any of these shows. I don't have cable. I don't care. Because they're just they're, they're mouth-breathing morons. 
former odds maker turned co-founder of Bet the Board, analyst for Lock It. This is on Twitter, so it's not spaced out, so it's hard to understand. Lock It in on FS1, CBS Sports HQ, and Race Hub. This guy's got a lot of hats. He's he's obviously a good businessman. He's got some strong intellect. I just don't understand how this is the best your mind can come up with. But anyways, let's listen to it. It's it's a little over a minute long, and then I want to resp- respond. Maybe I'll cut in. I don't know. We'll see. Well, let me say one thing, Rachel. I mean, not only am I glad San Francisco won for, for allowing me to win a bet, but if Green Bay ultimately finished the number one seed in the NFC, arguably the most competitive NFC playoff race that we've seen, it would have been one of the more fraudulent teams to finish in that top spot. Whoa. As it is, it's bad enough that Green Bay actually gets a bye instead of the New Orleans Saints, but New Orleans has a chance to take care of that on the frozen tundra of Lambeau. When you look at this Green Bay team, Aaron Rodgers will return to the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Aaron Jones has given them that dynamic balanced attack out of the backfield. But aside from Devontae Adams, who's coming into his own after dealing with turf toe all season long, I mean, this is a Packers offense that leaves a lot more questions than it does answers. I mean, look at some of the numbers that Aaron Rodgers put up in weeks 9 through 16 before he had his 300-plus yard outburst against the Detroit Lions. 61% completion percentage, less than 200 yards per game, and a passer rating that we can say what we want about that statistic was sub-90. Now, I know Matt LaFleur's offense is designed about a balanced attack, but I still have a lot of concerns about Green Bay, other than the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field that might cause problems for the Saints. Uh, But this team isn't good. I don't see them as viable contenders to win the NFC. They'll need a lot of help and a lot of Aaron Rodgers' magic. Green Bay, one and done, in my opinion. Wow. So, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Again, claiming they'll be one and done. Look, there's a good chance the Saints come to Lambeau Field and play the Packers. It's not hard to make a case that the Saints win that game. They're probably going to be favorites in that game. So it's not that outlandish of a statement to say they're going to be one and done, but it's the way in which he goes about it that's so... First of all, he uses nothing but statistics, which is dumb, right? He's talking about, what, quarterback rating of Aaron Rodgers? And the only other thing he throws out is that the, the Packers' offense has more questions than answers. So so, so let's walk through this incoherent thought process. Number one, Aaron Jones is really good. That was his words. Number two, Devontae's really good. Not specifically his words, but those are his words. Other than that, there's a lot of questions. Well, first of all, you left out David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga and the rest of this offensive line, which is actually pretty solid. If you just look at, for example, the last four weeks as compared to the other uh, playoff teams, they've given up four sacks. The only teams that have given up less in that stretch are the Saints- Titans, Chiefs, and, and Ravens. Patriots have given up five. The Vikings have given up six. Seattle's given up eight. And the 49ers have given up nine sacks in the last four weeks. I use the last four weeks because that's much more, it makes a lot more sense than what you're doing, which is to say, look at Aaron Rodgers from weeks nine through 16. Why are you doing that? Well, you're omitting 17 because he had a lot of, a lot of yards in that game. Why week nine? Because it's probably just, he just picked the worst stretch he could which is just being dishonest, which if you actually believe it, why are you being dishonest? You know that statistical dishonesty. So why are you doing it? Pick something without trying to say, I'm trying to make a case that he's a bad quarterback. How can I find the worst numbers possible? Which makes you a fraud. Pick a standard that makes sense now and then apply it. For me, I'm looking at the last four weeks. That's what makes the most sense to me. Weeks 14, 15, 16, 17. That's what I'm looking at. Offensive line. If we just look at the tackles, for example, the Green Bay Packers tackles in the last four weeks have allowed a grand total of one sack. Brian Balaga gave up one sack. That's it. Jermaine Effetti, the Seahawks tackle in the last four weeks, has given up three just by himself. So you, you're trying to make it... What, what are the questions exactly? 
Are we going back to the wide receiver thing? Is that what we're doing? So we know that they've got a very good running back, as compared to other playoff teams even. We know they have a very good wide receiver. We know they have a very good offensive line, which you're refusing to acknowledge. You talk about Aaron Rodgers. Okay, fine, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. His completion percentage hasn't been great. That's very true. He's also taken a lot more shots than anybody, which is why the statistic approach to this is not super sensible. But even so, have you seen Josh Allen? Are they frauds? Because he's at 48.8. I don't know if you noticed that or not. And by the way, Aaron Rodgers has thrown for 937 yards in just the last four weeks. That's more than Russell Wilson. That's more than Deshaun Watson. That's more than Tom Brady. That's more than Lamar Jackson. That's more than Kirk Cousins. That's more than Josh Allen. I mean, if we're just looking at quarterbacks and saying so-and-so is a fraud because of their quarterback, the Buffalo Bills should not be in this at all because their quarterback is terrible. Aaron Rodgers has thrown four touchdowns and two interceptions, which is a terrible mark for him. But Kirk Cousins has thrown three touchdowns and two interceptions. Deshaun Watson has thrown three touchdowns, five interceptions. So even when he's struggling, statistically, and yeah, he's nowhere near Drew Brees. Drew Brees in the last four weeks has thrown 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions. In four weeks, Lamar Jackson, 11 touchdowns, one interception. Ryan Tannehill, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. Unbelievable effort from those quarterbacks. But again, you didn't make the case that this isn't the best offense in football. You made the case that they're frauds. So, so again, what are the questions? And beyond that, to, to, to make this all completely ridiculous, at the end of it, you said they're going to need some Aaron Rodgers magic to win. I'm sorry, I thought he was the problem. But now he's the one that has to save this offense? Why? They've got Aaron Jones. They've got Devontae Adams. They've got an offensive line. And by the way, you completely left off Alan Lazard. In terms of yardage among playoff teams, Devontae Adams is third behind Michael Thomas and A.J. Brown. Alan Lazard is 15th with 147 yards. So New Orleans has Michael Thomas, just looking at yards, as number one. Where's their number two? In terms of yardage, the number two they have is Traquan Smith, who's 19th. That's that's lower than Alan Lazard, I thought. That's weird. Kansas City has Tyreek Hill, who's beneath Devontae Adams, 262 yards. That's almost 100 yards less in the last four weeks. And then the number two is Sammy Watkins with 135, but Alan Lazard has 147. That's 10 more yards. By the way, Alan Lazard has a touchdown. Sammy Watkins does not. So what are the questions here? So the Kansas City Chiefs have wide receivers not producing as well as the Packers wide receivers, and they have an abysmal defense, and they're the number two seed, but they're not frauds. They have a garbage defense. They're not going anywhere with that defense. They don't have as good of a wide receiver group. They have arguably not as good of an offensive line group. So what, it's because of Pat Mahomes being better than Rodgers and Travis Kelsey being better than Jimmy Graham? That's what you're basing the Packers being frauds and the Kansas City Chiefs being legit Super Bowl contenders on? None of this makes any sense. Again, this is just somebody who watches the Packers almost lose to the Lions and says they're garbage, and then has to go back and try to find statistics to make this work, and has to use fraudulent nonsense like, you know, using week 9 to week 16, because that makes sense in this universe. He's lying to try to make a case, because he sees something, he believes something, and then he has to go try to prove it with numbers, which, of course, you can prove or disprove anything with statistics. I can do the same thing. I can pick a random set of of weeks for Aaron Rodgers to probably be the number one quarterback in football, but it would be ridiculous to do that. I picked the set standard the last four weeks, and I've applied all, everything I've said has been based on the last four weeks, because that's the standard I believe in. And I applied it evenly, from wide receiver to offensive line to quarterback, because I'm trying to be honest. And I'm honestly saying, I don't think the Packers are the, the most talented roster in football. But to call them frauds is dumb, and to not even have a legitimate argument is also dumb. 
The Saints going to Lambeau, I promise you, are going to have a lot of respect for the Green Bay Packers. You might not, but I promise you they're not going in thinking that they got this game won. That defense in the cold against a dome team with a crowd that is just screaming so loud Drew Brees is going to have blood dripping out of his ears. But you know what? This, it doesn't matter because when, when the Saints go marching in to Lambeau Field and get beat, there's going to be excuses because this is what the Packers have dealt with all year. They've got an easy schedule. Well, no, they don't actually if you look at it. Their strength of schedule is about in the middle, and they also have a very good record against winning opponents. So that's a lie. Well, the refs help them win every game. Well, no, that's not actually true either. Excuse after excuse after excuse about why the Packers are winning. But that's fine, because nothing could be better than underestimating the Green Bay Packers. Because what we know is that when the Packers are hot, they're, they're, they can beat any single team in football. And most of the fear we have of the 49ers is the fact that that was one of the worst performances the Packers have had and one of the best performances the 49ers had. And in our minds, and in most of the national media's mind, there's such a disparate talent base between the two teams that just doesn't exist. That was one of Kenny Clark's worst games ever. Zadarius, that was one of the few games he... Well, actually, I think he was okay, but Preston didn't show up. Right, Rodgers was terrible. Down the line, everybody was just, ugh. That was like Kevin King's last bad game, and, and Jair didn't play very well. This team, at their best, has a shot against anybody. And the best thing that can happen is for everyone to underestimate him. So again, this guy isn't even trying. He's, he, he's making a, a bold claim because he wants to sound controversial. And then he just makes up numbers to try to prove a point that was incoherent. Because again, he said they have a good running back, they have a good wide receiver. He said there's a lot of questions, but didn't enunciate what one of those questions would be. The only thing I could think is he's talking about wide receiver. Which, if he wanted to actually make a case, it should be about tight end. But even at that, Houston has bigger questions at tight end, arguably, than the Packers do. Buffalo has bigger questions than the Packers do. I mean, even Minnesota. If you look at the yardage over the last four weeks that the Minnesota Vikings have gotten from from tight ends, Irv Smith, 44 yards and a touchdown. Jimmy Graham is 114 yards. So, uh, again, make a case, but but actually make it. I'll just say random nonsense. Because, again, if the Packers are frauds based on any criteria, then somebody else has to be a fraud. But, of course, nobody's actually going to do that much in-depth work because apparently to be on national media, you just shut your brain off and say stupid garbage. You just make wild claims and say nonsense and don't actually even try to back it up. And then everyone goes, whoa, this guy, cool, shots fired. We're not going to challenge him on any of this, but, you know. And then he goes back to being co-founder of a bunch of organizations that apparently are run by somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about. So, anyways, uh, let's look at uh, Jim's couple questions and we'll call it a D. Um, so the first thing was more of a, a comment. He had mentioned that David Bakhtiari said that it's an honor to play for Matt LaFleur and how that's really a, re- a broader reflection on, on the impact he's had on this locker room. Now, generally speaking, you hear a lot of stuff. You know, when somebody asks a question, what do you think about your coach? And he says, oh, it's an honor to, you know, it, it could just be lip service. But I, I, I generally agree that Matt LaFleur has done a great job of recreating this locker room. And really what he's done, in, in my opinion, if you look at different coaching styles, he's kind of built a Sean McVay-style locker room. I don't really know how Kyle Shanahan runs a, a, a locker room. I don't think it's this way. It's certainly different than the Patriots and how Mike McCarthy ran a locker room. This is sort of like Sean McVay, where it's like it's almost like a college frat party. You know, It's, it's just a bunch of young guys hanging out, having fun, and just, just beating people up. I mean, it's just, we're, we're just going to go out and have some fun and I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, and we're going to reconvene here and celebrate again. And I think every style has its strength and weakness, but but the fact of the matter is everybody seems to really appreciate and respect Matt LaFleur, and a lot of that has to do with winning. If the team was 3-13, and 13, it would probably be a different story, but that all goes to Matt LaFleur. 
Even if you want to say it's because of the winds, fine. Well, the winds are <laughs> largely because of Matt LaFleur. Um, Jim's second question was he had heard that there was some dissension about whether or not the Packers would take Jonathan Taylor if he were available. Um, first of all, he I, I'm almost positive he will be available by the time the Packers f- pick in the first. Even if they win a Super Bowl, I'm not sure Jonathan Taylor goes in the first round. Not because he's lacking in talent, but just, you know, I don't think he's going to be the first running back to go. And I don't know that a ton of running backs are going to go in the first round. But but anyways, I would say it's possible if Jonathan Taylor fell all the way to the back of the second round, which is unlikely, it's possible they take him because there's always an element of best player available. And I absolutely understand the pairing, right? Why, why wouldn't you want Aaron Jones and Jonathan Taylor? Well, in, in a vacuum, of course you want them, but you got to weigh it against everything else. So the, the biggest question I have, because it always comes down to what the board is, if the best player on your board is Jonathan Taylor, what do you do? And let's say it's a massive drop, like the, it, categorical. So as I explained before, the way that GMs generally organize their boards, it's not just, you know, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and best player available means you take six before seven. What they do is they organize them into tiers. So there's the top tier, the second tier. That's not how they organize it, but you understand. So let's say Jonathan Taylor is in a tier by himself. Do you take that guy, which technically the rule is you always take a guy in a higher tier, or would you just say no and either take somebody else or trade back? Honestly, if it's me, I'm looking to trade back out of that, which is a way of recouping some of that value. If we're at pick 32 and there's n- there's only one guy worth a pick 32, I wanted someone to pay me for pick 32. Because if we th- just think about this in terms of money, let's say pick 32 is worth 100 bucks, and I have a $100 bill, and there's only one thing available that's worth $100, but I don't need it because I don't want, you know, whatever. You know, it's a, it's a $100 pair of shoes. Now, you always, you don't want to, because you have to turn in the $100. You don't get any change. And you don't want to buy a $50 pair of gloves because then you just lost $50. But you don't want to buy a pair of shoes because you already have a pair of shoes. So it's not really worth 100 to you even though the value of the shoes is $100. So the best, next best option is to have somebody offer you an 80, you know, 80 bucks and 20, a $20 bill or whatever. Or five 20s, you know, however. And I'll give you the $100 bill. And then they use that $100 bill on what they think is worth $100. And then I move back and I spend $20 or, you know, $80, let's say, on something that I think is worth $80. You got a wide receiver who's in the second round and I have to spend 80 bucks, and he's worth 80 bucks. It worked out perfectly. Because at the end of the day, I had $100 and I spent that $100. It doesn't matter if it was a second round and a fourth round pick. I got $100 worth of value out of my $100 because that's what pick 32 is worth. It's worth $100. Does that kind of make sense? And so when, when I'm looking at it, even if Jonathan Taylor is worth that $100, we already have a pair of shoes. And although I understand there's nothing wrong with having a second pair of shoes in case of injury, this, that, or the other, I think the, the value, first of all, of running backs is lower. And then second of all, the fact that you're just adding on top of a group of running back when you have needs in other positions, I just don't really see it happening. I could see them taking a running back. It's not impossible because the Packers will take best player available. And further down the line, I could see them saying, look, that, you know, especially if you get into the fourth round and you got guys that are like in third round value. So now we're talking about I got 50 bucks to spend, and that, that over there to me is worth $70. There's a running back right there with 70 bucks. I'm going to pay $50 for that $70 item because I essentially increased $20. So I'm, I'm going to do that. But I just, I'm not going to do that probably in the first round. So in that case, I would agree with the sentiment that the Packers are probably not going to take Jonathan Taylor, even if he's best player available in the first round. Um, and then his final two questions is, first of all, the coach of the year and GM of the year, why isn't Lafleur? why isn't Gutekunst seen as sort of top tier? They're both in the conversation. And th- this is something, too, that 
I mean, th- there's a lot of cases that could be made for coaches, but if you just look at this NFL.com article, the arguments that they make, they picked some awards, who, who wins the awards based on, I don't know what, a panel of media members, whatever. So w- what Tom Pellicero did is he reached out to high-ranking executives in personnel from 24 teams and came back with it. So it's hard to argue, but at the same time, I'm probably going to. The coach of the year was Sean McDermott. That's not a bad coach of the year. The somewhat frustrating thing is they said that he edged out John Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan. So apparently LaFleur is not even top three in this category. But I just, I, I don't know exactly what Sean McDermott has done that Matt LaFleur hasn't. So, so the comment here is the defense is playing really well, okay? And that the quarterback apparently is playing well enough and that part of the reason they're winning is because of their quarterback. I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure he is legitimately and by a lot the worst quarterback in all of the playoffs. We just talked about that. So I give credit to this guy for building up the Buffalo Bills. But understand, number one, they're a 10-6 and six team, and this is his third year. So they were in the playoffs in 2017 at 9-7, and seven. then they regressed to 6-10, and 10, and then they bounced back to 10-6. and six. Whoop-de-doo. And they don't have a good quarter. So sh- would you take Matt LaFleur or Sean McDermott? It's not even close. Matt LaFleur took a 6-win team to a 13-win team in his first year. And the argument that it's because of Aaron Rodgers, I'm sorry, I thought Aaron Rodgers was no good. And by the way, they didn't do it on the back of Aaron Rodgers. They built an incredible running game to support Aaron Rodgers. I mean, oh my goodness. The entire team, this is the most well-rounded team we've seen since the Packers last won the Super Bowl. And if you want to give a lot of that credit to our GM, that's fine. We're going to get to that in a second. But it still takes a coach to build a culture. So he gets it over McDermott any day of the week. And again, he's had three years to build this thing. Now, I personally think the other two coaches are better suited than McDermott, John Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan. John Harbaugh, because of what he's built in Baltimore, which is incredible, and what he's been able to do with that quarterback, which is also incredible. But I also still think you should take into account that John Harbaugh has been at this for a very, very long time and has been a very much a failing coach for a very long time. And so he's finally got it right after all these years. Again, first-time head coach, 13 wins, number two seed. And if we're discounting a coach because of a quarterback, John Harbaugh should not be in the conversation because this quarterback carried the team. They got a good defense. They got some other good pieces. You take away Lamar Jackson, and this team is probably not even in the playoffs. So pick a lane. And then Kyle Shanahan, first of all, the biggest thing with Kyle Shanahan is, well, they went from a four-win team to a 12-win team or whatever they are, 13 wins. I don't know. Okay, well, first of all, a big part of the reason they were four wins is because of their quarterback being hurt. If he wasn't hurt, then they wouldn't have been four wins. They probably would have been, what, 10 wins? So you're giving him credit for that, for the fact that his quarterback was hurt and then he wasn't hurt, which accounts for the vast majority of the differential with the wins. And again, Kyle Shanahan has been building this for years. Matt LaFleur is just getting started. He got one vote, by the way, in this, this out of 24 people voting, he got Matt LaFleur got one vote, along with Houston's Bill O'Brien, who has done nothing. I mean, they made it to the playoffs, but so what? This is the same team that they've been since Bill O'Brien's got there. And Miami's Brian Flores also got a vote. Matt LaFleur and Brian Flores got the same amount of votes. These people are morons. If you want to say John Harbaugh, if you want to say Kyle Shanahan, that's fine. I actually think Matt LaFleur makes more sense. Because we're talking about the impact of a coach. And we're talking about this year in particular. This is, this is, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has slowly built this over the years. John Harbaugh... Again, fine. McDermott is nonsense. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed by McDermott, but this is three years at about nine or ten wins. Whoop-de-doo. And he hasn't done anything with a quarterback. So I, 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 
I don't care if you don't necessarily think Matt LaFleur is a top one. I think you can make a very good case for it. I think John Harbaugh, Kyle Shanahan, and Matt LaFleur are the top three, and I don't think there's a close fourth. And depending on what you want to wait the most, I think Matt LaFleur is, should probably be the top because it's the most unlikely. I mean, just take the rosters for what they are. Let's assume that John Harbaugh isn't there and we put a new coach in. Is that team going to be in the playoffs? I'm pretty sure they are. And that's not to take away what he's done. But again, the, the vast majority of the, su- the success comes from this quarterback that is taking the entire NFL by storm. Kyle Shanahan, maybe if you remove him, that you know, because he's a, a wizard offensively, but take away George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk, right? these two ridiculous weapons that they have. Or better yet, put Matt LaFleur with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan with the Packers. Do you think the 49ers don't make the playoffs with Matt LaFleur? Do you know what he would do with a guy like George Kittle? Because the Packers... It, We've seen the weaknesses, but yet they still got to 13 wins. If you're not going to put that on the coach, what are you putting it on? So in short, I absolutely agree that Matt LaFleur needs to be in that conversation. And again, I, I, I don't really put, I mean, maybe Sean McDermott is fourth, but he's somewhat of a distant four. I think John Harbaugh, Kyle Shanahan, and Matt LaFleur are the top ones. And I don't see why Matt LaFleur, because it's so unlikely that a guy in his first year takes a six-win team. By the way, this is verifiably historically unique. First time in Packers history. So yeah, I think Matt LaFleur should be the top dog here. It's not perfect, but again, it's his first year. Are we just looking at best teams in football? Obviously not, because Brian Flores got as many votes as Matt LaFleur. 3-11 Brian Flores. Ugh. And by the way, Mike Tomlin would have been fourth on this, or yeah, fourth on this list. It was Sean McDermott, then Harbaugh and Shanahan, then Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin's team is falling apart all around him. How? Why? These guys are morons. By the way, exact same thing happened with Executive of the Year. Now, it depends where you look. A lot of people give give um, credit, but this exact article, John Lynch was number one, which is hilarious because it says he edged out G- John Schneider of the Seahawks. John Schneider is the worst, one of the worst GMs in football. I, I He has done a terrible job with that team. He had one really good draft that built that roster. Russell Wilson now, it's quarterback and coach who are dragging this team that is completely falling apart. The defense is a is a shell of what it was. He has, he has not built, not found one offensive lineman to plug in there. He's not been able to draft one offensive lineman that isn't terrible. He keeps reaching on garbage in the first round that just isn't any good. He is terrible and he got the second most vote. And here's, here's the reasoning they gave for John Lynn. He built it the right way, D-line and O-line. And then they go on to say, I know they inherited Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, but they hit on Bosa. You bunch of dummies. So, so defensive line is one of the best things that they've done. First of all, they've had a terrible defensive line. But yes, they inherited two of those guys. And then they had the second overall pick. Bosa was gift-wrapped to John Lynch. Any GM in the world is going to pick Bosa. And then a couple sneaky signings like Richard Sherman. <sighs> okay. And Emmanuel Sanders. That that was a big one. More teams should have been in on that. That was probably the biggest one. Richard Sherman, a lot of teams wanted it. Richard just wanted to go to the 49ers. John Lynch, again, was gifted Richard Sherman. A lot of teams wanted him. Richard decided, I want to stay out here. I want to play in San Francisco. So take John Lynch, put him over in New York, and have him try to recruit um, Richard Sherman. He doesn't get him. And John Schneider is a joke. So they start off with defending John Schneider. He has a Super Bowl championship under his belt. What was that, like 50 years ago? And he remains as aggressive as any NFL decision maker with recent trades for Jadavian Clowney. That's true, they did get Jadavian Clowney, which is good because the defense has completely imploded. So yeah, now they have one, although although they did trade away a defensive end, so they kind of swapped him. And of course, they had to give up draft picks for it. 
and they got safety Quandre Diggs, which again is great because they had two elite safeties, they lost both of them. One of them is in Baltimore right now, playing for a much better team. He does a great job every year. That's a lie. He retooled the defense. <laughs> retooled it? Ugh! I'm, oh, oh, what are you talking about? And, and yeah, so then you go down the list, and what is it? In third, Bills, Brandon Bean. In fourth, the Baltimore Ravens, Eric DaCosta. I think that makes sense. They've done a pretty good job. DaCosta, by the way, would have been one of the ones that brought on Zedaria. By the way, Pittsburgh's Kevin Colbert, Minnesota's Rick Spielman, and Green Bay's Brian Gutekunst received one vote each. These people are morons. This was published like two weeks ago. These people are absolute idiots. You want to know why some teams are so terrible? Because they're run by people that give Brian Gutekunst one vote for his for what he did in 2019, and Matt LaFleur gets one vote as Coach of the Year. These people are brain damaged. If you look at ESPN, Coach of the Year. In third, or let's first place, John Harbaugh. Again, that's fair. In second place, Sean Payton. I mean, I guess. Again, what is our criteria? It's already a good team. What did he do this year? Rinse and repeat last year? You get an award for that? And then number three, Bill Belichick, who has presided over this system that he has, which is now falling apart. This is the worst Patriots team going into the playoffs we've seen in a very long time. But okay, we'll give him number three. Executive of the year, number one, Brandon Bean. Why? Josh Allen, he's not even good. What are you talking about? They brought in Devin Singletary. Okay, he's a mediocre back. They got Dawson Knox at tight end. So what? He's not good. You're just naming names that aren't good. They used a first-round pick on Ed Oliver. So what? Second, Eric DaCosta, Baltimore Ravens. Again, fair. Third, John Lynch, San Francisco 49er. Nowhere is anyone talking about Brian Gutekunst. It, it, it really, at this point, and look, there was a time when the Packers were just everybody's favorite. I feel like that is that pendulum has swung to where everybody, the, the national media hates the Green Bay Packers right now. They do not like Aaron Rodgers, and they're taking every chance they can to swipe at his neck. They hate this team. They hate this roster. They do not like Matt LaFleur and are not giving him any credit for what he's done. And, and one of the most remarkable turnarounds in franchise history, one of the greatest turnarounds I've ever seen in a team in one year. When you look at Zadarius Smith, when you look at Preston Smith, when you look at Adrian Amos, even Billy Turner, who's starting to, to come on strong. When you look at Darnell Savage, you look at the production that they've gotten in a year and how much this has transformed not just a team that went from six wins to 13 wins and is the number two seed, but a team that has not had a good defense in years suddenly has one of the best pass rushing units and, and possibly the number one pass rusher in all of football. And not because he just went out and paid $25 million for Khalil Mack because I'm lazy like uh, Ryan Pace, who, by the way, was given an award. I don't know if it was an official award or some. Who cares? None of these are official. They're all nonsense. Some writer somewhere came up with something. I don't know. But anybody can write a check for Khalil Mack. That doesn't make you a good executive. How about taking a guy with moderate stats that's like your number three pass rusher, paying $17 million and having him turn into one of the best pass rushers in football? How about the fact that everybody gave him a D grade on that pickup for how much money it cost, and it turned out he was one of the best pass rushers in football, if not the best? The only person that saw this coming was the man who wrote the check. Does he get credit for that? Of course he doesn't. 
When everyone said Landon Collins was the safety to get, he went out and got Adrian Amo. Does he get credit for being right on that and getting a great value? Of course he doesn't. Preston Smith was seen as a nobody. He's got double-digit sacks. Does he get credit for that? No. So all this, look, the bottom line is, Jim, you're correct that these guys do deserve to be in the conversation, and I think they are in the conversation. I don't think either of them are going to win any awards. But the bottom line is none of this stuff matters. It's why the Pro Bowl doesn't matter. So none of the, It's a bunch of mindless people who don't know what they're talking about voting on things. Some of these are somewhat popularity contests. There's no real strict criteria. It's just people who think they know stuff, pretending they know stuff, voting on things they don't know what they're talking about, and then coming up with some kind of a conclusion that is false. And it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what matters is the Packers winning the Super Bowl. That's what matters. I don't care about these nonsense award, MVPs, player of the year, coach of the year, executive of the year. So what? The accomplishment is what matters. The fact that... that ma- I, listen, I would much rather have Brian Gutekunst as my GM with getting no respect but being able to build a roster the way that he can than Ryan Pace, who actually can win an award but has no idea how to run a franchise. I'll, I'll take the, the guys that get no credit any day of the week. I don't care that the Packers are, are media darlings or fly under the radar. It's a little bit more fun when they're media darlings, but whatever. We'll just embrace the hate all the way to the Super Bowl, I guess. I don't, I don't know. And people can say that they fraudulently won the Super Bowl and fraudulently beat the Saints and fraudulently beat the 49ers and fraudulently beat the Ravens. And we'll fraudulently put another trophy in our trophy case. I don't care. Results are what matter. And the Packers have that in spades. And if people can't see it, that's their problem. It's not our problem. So anyways, Jim, I hope that somewhat answers your question, or at least that's my opinion on your, your question. And also, thank you very much for the kind words. I appreciate that. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.